0: Welcome to the Health Business Growth Show, where we take you behind the scenes of the top health businesses to learn how they built their success. Remember, success leaves clues, and we're going to be sharing those with you. I'm your host, JJ Bergen, Inc. 5000 founder of the Mindshare Collaborative, along with members of our Mindshare mentor team. And each week, we are joined by some of the most brilliant, innovative, and okay slightly unhinged health business experts you're going to ever meet. These folks have built empires from scratch, navigated the choppy waters of entrepreneurship, and will be sharing both their struggles and their successes on the journey of creating a thriving health business. So if you're ready to take your business to the next level by learning from the best, you are in the right place. In each episode of the Health Business Growth Show, we'll tackle real world, relevant topics to help you build your audience and scale your income. From marketing to mindset, from hiring to firing, and everything in between. We'll share our own stories of success and failure, interview some of the most amazing guests in the health business world, and we promise to never take ourselves too seriously. Because let's be honest building your health business can be a bit challenging at times. Success takes resilience, creativity, courage, and a willingness to step outside of your comfort zone. And we are here to help you navigate through all of it. Find the humor in the chaos and build a health business that's truly worth it. So let's get this party started. We are so glad you are here.
1: Quite honestly, there are many moments throughout the annual summits that leave us so inspired. And whilst we can't share all of those little nuggets with you, we would love to see you at one of our summits. If you haven't been before, the Mindshare Collaborative Summit is just a place to connect with people who understand. But today's episode, we have Mickey Agwal and she was a keynote speaker at a previous summit and we have taken some of the best parts of her presentation and well, we've made it into a little mic drop for you. Because this one is too good to miss. She is a phenomenal multi-business owner and is truly changing the face of business. She talks in this episode about when we are doing what we love and we are lit up from inside, how much easier business is and how much more effortless that is. And for me, that truly resonates. It's Nat Kringudis, one of the Mindshare mentors. And I am very excited to jump into this episode. So let's go.
2: Oh, I'm so happy to be in like a room with people versus a screen. Let's get into it. I've been thinking a lot about what lights me up and turns me on and what lights other people up and turns them on. And it turns out that when we're lit up and turned on, we just have this pool of endless energy that appears, right? when we're like, oh my God, I have this idea. Who can I call? Amber. I'm going to call you Rada. I'm going to call you, oh my God, JJ. You have no idea of this idea. And just this endless energy, even if we're sometimes low resource, even if we're a mom of a young child or all these different things are around us. When this idea hits in French, we call it coup de foudre. It's like this boom moment. And it's just this endless amount of energy appears. You know what I'm talking about? I've been thinking a lot about that. And I took it one step further. And I kind of in that sort of, exploration, I realized that actually being lit up is a permission slip to trust ourselves. Let's unpack that a little bit. Being lit up is a permission slip to trust ourselves. Oftentimes when we have this idea and we're so excited about something, all of a sudden the box that we're living in appears or how societal constructs and how we're supposed to be shows up. And then we start second guessing ourselves. And then we start questioning, wait, is that fire true or is it not? But when we actually truly trust that fire and trust that lit up energy inside of us and fan that flame of that magic that we're feeling, genuinely, truly, magic, abundance, just so much follows. What is it that lights me up and turns me on right now? For me, it's really elevating people and the planet through disruptive innovation and creativity. We live in a world where people are always talking about these buzzwords, disruptive innovation, and making huge businesses But actually, the minute we follow the thing that we're lit up, all that money, all that stuff follows. We know that. It's true. And sometimes we, again, let societal constructs just get in the way of that. Let me get into a little bit about the background of disruptive innovation before we get into the creative practices and all the different creative things that I did with my companies and with my teams to really build these two nine-figure companies. We're going to get really under the hood of all of the different strategies that we did and how little it actually costs to do big things. Disruptive innovation is simply an innovation that creates a new market, which eventually overtakes an existing market. Let's go through some examples. The Model T car. Before the Model T car, before cars were introduced to this country, there were horse and buggies. People were just riding around horse and buggy, just minding their business, taking their time. And cars came into the world, but they were really only here for the wealthy people. Until the Model T came. So the Model T was able to really come and disrupt the horse and buggy category. We're going to go through this pretty quickly. We're going to, again, also bounce around with times. Internet microprocessor disrupted the way information was being processed. Credit card PayPal disrupted the way money was exchanged. Anesthesia disrupted the way operations were had. If you think about it, I had three ACL reconstruction. I had a C-section. Without that important anesthesia, who knows what would happen? So anesthesia truly disrupted the medical industry. Again, fast forwarding to disruptive consumer products. Look at companies like Tom Hsu specifically, and then Warby Parker followed the one-for-one model. That model disrupted the way, the notion that, wait, you can do good and do well at the same time. If I buy something, I can give something away for free under the same sort of for-profit, but it's for-purpose, for-profit model. That's really interesting. We'll also get into why we can elevate those models. Dollar Shave Club disrupted the subscription industry. You think of subscription model. You think about why did Unilever buy Dollar Shave Club for a billion dollars? It's because what they did in three years took, from a customer acquisition perspective, took Gillette 100 years to do. So they really cracked that code and a lot of these big companies want to know how to actually get to direct, go direct to consumer. Uber, Airbnb disrupted the taxi and hotel industry. And then you think about the taxi to hotel industries like in each city, they would pick it in rage and try and stop progress from coming. Remember that? When they were just trying so hard to not have these, Progress to enter and innovation and disruptive innovation to come through. We saw what happened. And this sort of level of, of thinking of just trying to protect what is versus let me innovate actually creates a statistic like this. 88% of Fortune 500 companies from 1955 are now gone, gone. So while all these industries are being disrupted, I, I specifically personally chose to focus on in the taboo space and namely, <laughs> in the business of peas. In doing the sort of alliteration of it, I was like, oh my God, all my businesses start letter P. Pizza, period. P, the most important P, which is I think the hardest startup of them all, parenting. Can we all agree to that? <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's go through them. So is a $32 billion industry. Americans eat 100 acres of pizza every single day. We love pizza. Got it. <laughs> but pizza, if you actually look at it, today, Domino's, Pizza Hut, those companies, it's made with bleached flour, processed cheese, sugar-filled sauces, processed topping. Really, actually, it's meant to be a brain food, a thalamus food, because it has all the correct food groups in it, but because it's being made with processed ingredients and all this stuff, it actually creates, for me, really bad tummy aches and a lot of gas. It's very unsexy. I basically was like, oh my God, can we take this clearly beloved food and turn it on its head and use gluten-free flours and hormone-free cheese and local seasonal toppings and support local farms and create local jobs? in 2005 this is when nobody was talking about these words. And I spent years standing outside my restaurant with little pieces being like, excuse me, excuse me, try healthy pizza. No, trust me, taste delicious. It's free. Just please. And I would just do that for literally years. And it was interesting because I got to learn so much about the psychology of people and human behavior and what they're not willing to do, what they're willing to do, how they're willing to try something, how they're not willing to try something. And it was really sort of a, almost I call it like a, like a PhD in humaning during those two years, standing outside, like asking people to try free pizza. So I started Wild, which we opened up our first location on the Upper East Side of New York City. Then opened one in Brooklyn, New York, in the heart of Williamsburg, Brooklyn, in a beautiful greenhouse. We opened a couple of them in Guatemala, of all places. <laughs> the biggest learning I had was I spent seven years working in my restaurant. First time entrepreneur, never ran a restaurant before, didn't even know how to cook at the time. And what I learned was the minute that my I, I brought in finally a partner who was who knew operations, restaurant operations, within one week, our numbers doubled. Within one month, our numbers tripled. It was one of those moments of just, this is so messed up. Here I was trying, barely staying afloat, and just trying so hard for seven years with literally pizza oven burn marks on my arms, constantly. People were like, are you okay? I'm like, no, there's pizza oven. And the minute I brought an ops person, and that was like the coup de foudre moment for me when it came to people. My first hire, every single company thereafter will be an ops person. I will never, ever try and operate something when I'm the creative and I'm the person who's going to market and PR and talk to people and get people excited and do the design and all of that and bring somebody who loves and who's in who's amazing at operation. And so I'm in mutual awe of my partner he's in mutual awe of me. And so it's a perfect, incredible partnership. With Waleed there, it freed up my time to start the next company with my twin sister Rada and our third co-founder Antonia. And it was in the period space. And if you look at the period space, it's a $15 billion category. And there are every single woman here. First of all, how many women do we have in the room? Show of hands. Okay, keep your hands up if you've ever experienced a leak and accident on your period. Everyone, thank you. Hands down. Okay, (laughs) yep, check. It's an obvious problem, but we've, again, I was that person stuffing the tampon in my arm being like, I'll be right back. And I would just keep forgetting. All the men who are like, groan, you're here because of it, so you're welcome, okay? <laughs> Thank a girl on your way out. <laughs> we invented basically a product called Thinks. Things. So it really the first period-proof underwear on the market that, that we wanted to wear as women. And it really looked at saying the word period, really facing the taboo head-on. And I think that was one of the things, and of course using art, and we'll talk about art very soon, about, about how art really changes the way people think about something taboo and something challenging in the beginning, and how it can shift your perspective pretty quickly. And then this is a really important piece for what we did, which is I I hate companies and people who talk shit about people who start something. For example, the Tom Shoes model, right? The buy one, give one. People talk a lot of shit like, well, you know, it's not, it creates a welfare model. They started out somewhere and we got to learn from them and we get to build on top of them because they took the leap first. So let us revere and support everyone who starts and then build on that. So one of the things we noticed from the Tom's model was that, okay, Amber, Amber here is a shoe salesman in Uganda and she is sitting in the beating sun in Uganda selling shoes and an honest living selling shoes. And then all of a sudden a bunch of free shoes arrives in her neighborhood. What happens to her business? It gone. It struggled. So then over time, when all these influx of free shoes, which is well intentioned, it actually creates a welfare model. It does. And it was again, beautifully meaning, but those ancillary problems were something that, that wouldn't create a lasting model. And so for us, we were like, okay, let's take that lesson, let's, let's build on it. So we created the, an empowerment model. We call it a buy one, fund one model. And so the buy one, fund one model is, so now instead of just giving free shoes and it's hurting Amber's business, now we're funding Amber's company. We're saying, hey, Amber, you're now a person of one. We're gonna fund your business. You're gonna hire two more people and now build your company. So we found a company in Uganda called Afropads and they make washable cloth pads at an affordable price for profit business. And we basically said, we'll fund your business with every pair of underwear sold. And so when we started out with them, they had like 25 employees. And now they have over 100, 100, 200. It it keeps going up. Like every time, it's just so much. But the last I checked, it was definitely well over 150 employees, which is really exciting. So the empowerment model works. People were asking us, is it good for urine too? Because women experience light bladder leakage. And we figured out that, wow, urinary incontinence is a huge problem in the market. Not a problem, but it's just a natural occurrence. Like when women give birth to a gigantic head, sometimes they pee a little bit. It's part of it. We started a, another offshoot brand called Icon, and now it's branded to Speaks. And it's really for women who tinkle. And so it's pee-proof underwear, and it's, again, disrupting the $7 billion incontinence market where diapers and awful, very terrible-for-the-planet material products end up in landfills, take 500 years to decompose. It doesn't feel good. It's not sexy and it's also terrible for the planet and your pocketbook. So these are products you can buy once, they last for years, and they really solve a problem. And we fund fistula operations. Obstetric fistula is basically, it's again, when my sister actually had a fistula when she gave birth, sometimes when you give birth, again, to a big baby, it tears a little bit of a hole in your bladder canal or your bladder, that whole bladder part of your body. In the developed world, you just stitch it up and you're back to business. In the developing world, you're literally peeing yourself forever. And you're put in these fistula camps. It's called the. It was called the modern day leprosy, to put in these fistula camps to die. And these women just pee themselves. and mattresses, and everything just smells like urine, and it's disgusting, and it's so awful. And these women just gave birth. And so what we've done is, for every pee-proof underwear sold, for every this product sold, we fund fistula operations. And we've now it's in the in the thousands of operations that have been supporting these women.
0: Do you know what the most successful subject line of all time is? You are not alone. One of the most common statements I hear when people attend our events is, oh my gosh, i found my people, I don't feel alone anymore. In fact, Mindshare started because I was at a marketing event and when I asked one of the experts the best way to build my business, he said, do it through collaboration. The only challenge was that I was going to these events and there were very few health professionals or health business owners in the room. So I started inviting my peers to come to the events and join me for lunch where we could share best practices and get to know each other. Well, we quickly outgrew those meeting rooms and I decided we should hold our own event, which has become our annual gathering now in its 10th year, the Mindshare Leadership Summit. This unique event is a combination of facilitated networking that even the biggest introvert enjoys so that you'll leave the event with at least 10 great relationships to help expand your impact. There's strategic training by your peers to share what's working right now in their health businesses so that you can increase your income and incredible keynotes by notables including Dr. Joe Dispenza, Marie Forleo, Lisa Nichols, and Brendan Burchard to help you expand your vision. We also have our Future of Health Talk competition where you will help select the winner or you can even compete yourself to get featured in the media and top podcasts. And. Because in my next life, I really want to be a party planner. We include a world-class costume party and a celebratory gala featuring our Impact Awards, where we acknowledge the incredible achievements of our members. This year's event is October 5th through 8th at the spectacular JW Marriott Camelback Resort and Spa in Scottsdale, Arizona. Attendance is by application only. So, to learn more and apply, go to mindshare summit.com. Now, this is our 10th anniversary year, so the celebration is going to be off the hook. You do not want to miss it. So, again, mindshare summit.com. See you there.
2: The final frontier. Poop. <laughs> okay, this is such a funny thing because here we are talking on Zoom. Hi, everyone on the other side of the world. Or like, there's Wi-Fi coursing through the thing. We're like just high tech, but the minute we step into the bathrooms, poof, we're like back in the 1800s. Toilets were brought to America in the late 1800s, and it hasn't changed since then. Why? Because it's taboo. Because we've checked, solved it. Not really. And, and also, it's like one of those things where you're like, that wasn't me. I don't know who that was. So I don't. I wasn't in there. And so not. They're not even thinking about innovation. They're just thinking about pretending like it wasn't them. We just started looking at this category again and just saying, for me personally, I dealt with a hyperthyroid condition, extreme hyperthyroid condition, working in the restaurants for many years. This is the perfect audience to, who know that, the chronic illness that I experienced from just pushing my body past its limits, truly not listening to what she was saying to me. And in that process, developed an extreme hyperthyroid condition, of which one of the side effects is pooping up to eight times a day. And I pooped up to eight times a day. And it was like, for a couple of years, it was really scary. And so my husband, my boyfriend at the time, now husband, Andrew Horn, Sam Horn's son, he got me this sort of like crappy bidet product I found online as a way to be like, here's a Valentine's Day present. I love you. And I had a really chapped butt, poor thing. And, and at this point, I had rubbed so much of toilet paper that I would jump in the shower. And it was like, I like that. And you're like, that's eh, so sensitive. I basically, so got that for me and it changed my life. And I was like, oh my God, I am Like And I started researching and I was like, oh my God, bidets. Bidets have been around around the world. It's been invented by a French person, which is why the English hate the French. And that's why the bidets weren't brought to America, literally. And during World War II, when American soldiers went to Europe and fought in World War II, they would see bidets in French brothels. And so they associate bidets with something sexual. And so in Puritanical America, they were like, we were never in brothels. We think bidets are terrible. And so that's literally how bidets were not brought to this country. It's so crazy. It's dumb cultural stuff. The other analogy I always give is Imagine if you jumped in your shower, didn't turn the water on, and just used dry toilet paper. People would be like, What are you doing? Are you okay? People would be like, oh God. That's really the question. Like, why are we doing that to the dirtiest part of our bodies? Our butt. Or it'd be another allergy. Imagine if a bird pooped on your arm. Would you take a piece of dried paper and just wipe it off, or would you wash it off? Lots of analogies. Like an eye all day long. And I have them all day long. So we created Tushy. Big companies have tried to bring bidets to America and failed for for many reasons. The biggest reason is cultural. And I think in order to really shift culture, we have to really, again, meet people where they are in this country. And so I think Tushy did that. Our tagline is for people who poop. (laughs) For everyone, (laughs) with a butt. (laughs) And so we again took something that looked like even people would see bidets inside people's homes or they'd see these things, they'd say, what's wrong with you? It looked like this weird contraption instead of something cool. And so for us, it was like, how do we make this cool? How do we make it relevant? How do we help people see that it saves 15 million trees from getting cut down to make toilet paper? How do we see that it literally helps 50 plus million combined cases of chronic urinary tract infections, hemorrhoids, anal fissures, anal itching, bacterial vaginosis, all these kinds of issues to by just properly cleaning yourself with water instead of using dry paper? It's so interesting because a lot of these big companies... They both own the toilet paper company and the creams company when you have the issues. So double dipping, if you know what I'm saying. And so we created Tushy, which is, again, like I said, a modern bidet that washes your butt clean after you poop. And it's super easy to install. It takes 10 minutes to install. just clips on your existing toilet and turns any toilet into a bidet. And for every Tushy sold, we fund the build-out of clean toilets in India. To date, we've helped 60,000 families gain access to clean toilets in India. There are almost three billion people that don't have a safe place to go to the bathroom. And almost 900 million people are practicing open defecation. And I'm talking, and millions, hundreds of millions of women and girls specifically. Are being targeted when they go to the bathroom broad daylight to get raped and pillaged and all these things. And millions of women literally don't drink enough water and don't eat enough food because they don't want to go to the bathroom during the day. So they're dehydrated, they have UTIs, they have all these issues and they're holding stuff in Or you can't hold in. That creates all these problems and they end up, they have to go in major groups, sometimes up to five miles late at night in groups just to go to the bathroom. And this is not just a, I'm going to Burning Man, woohoo. This is like an everyday reality for millions and millions of people. We started this process, and of course, for us, it's twofold. It's fighting the global sanitation crisis, but it's also funding major tree initiatives, ma- major re initiatives, major tree planting initiatives. For us, like I said, bidets save 15 million trees from getting flushed down the toilet. We talk about water consumption. For one single roll of toilet paper, it requires 37 gallons of water to make one roll of toilet paper. We funded tons of different really cool projects all over India. And By the way, do not go to Tushi.com. It's a very graphic anal porn site. Go to hellotoshi.com. Can I hear you all say HelloTushy.com? Thank you. So uh, how do you creatively introduce a disruptive concept to market? Okay, so the first thing is edutainment. There's that concept of educational and entertaining. Put them together and it makes for really fun videos. Okay, GIFs. It's, it's an interesting thing because GIFs really work. When we put a GIF on our website, just showing our product works, increase our conversion rate by 20%. So this is an example. Simple, cost us literally nothing just showing here's how to install increase their conversion rate by 20 percent just by doing like little tiny gift things helps so much again we did this really fun campaign for mother's day and it's all movement based and art based and again it just catches your eye one of the things that facebook and instagram talk about all the time is thumb stopping what will make you stop your thumb and oftentimes people want to just put so much stuff in one little thing and just and just drown you in so much content Versus making something like beautiful that makes you stop your thumb and it makes you want to look. My mother always, her, her favorite saying is, Always keep a little mister. Japanese samurai. Which is true, she is. And just mystery. Having mystery is so important in the content. Strong value promises in Jilliver in a fun way. We made these really fun videos. We made five of these for $2,500. We found an art school student in New York, Parsons School, and she just made these for us. And it was like, and she was stoked for the 2,500. But for us, it was like evergreen videos that last forever. I coined this term called fridge-worthy, which basically means, you know when you guys walk into your house and you go to your fridge and on your fridge is like pictures of your children or your grandkids or invitations to weddings and little quotes from Daybreaker and like all my favorite things, right? And the question that I always give my team and the challenge I always give my team is, could you make something so artful, so beautiful, so personal that it can make the small real estate on your fridge? And that was one of our lenses in which we looked at and our team would come up with, we would come up with the most beautiful things. And someone asked me, like, how do you think creatively? And the way I always say is just start by literally sitting in a circle and telling a story. Tell me the story of your first time going to the bathroom, your first time bleeding, like at a party or whatever it is. Tell us the most embarrassing poop story, the most embarrassing whatever story. And when you just sit around a fire, campfire vibes, ideas just start coming. Ideas just start flowing. And that's always for us the way we start these creative conversations, these creative ideas is by just having these campfire kind of storytelling conversations. It's always super fun. We get to know our team that way as well. So yeah, it's just really creating art. And again, we're talking about period underwear, things that are Again, people are feel uncomfortable, feel ashamed of. Like I guess that even if it creates human life, there's this such a stigma in the society. There was a much bigger one until we were able to really turn it on its head and make it art. We again doesn't require much. Like our entire Think Subway campaign cost us five thousand dollars total. It was just a creative idea with food, a lot of beautiful color backdrops, and just great ideas. And looking at art, going to museums, going to different places, looking at art, looking at photographs of different magazines, things like that. This was something I was really proud of. When we had the opportunity to launch in the subway, I always loved flip books, And so our team made these like flipbook columns. So basically like when you walk through the subway, through the columns would be like these little flip books that would flip and it was so original. No one ever did that before and made people look. For Tushy, I put a mood board together for my team and I just told them I, I love collage. Collage turns something into fantastical, makes you look again. It's really interesting. We want to showcase nature, but we want to also make it interesting with people in different shapes. And I went to backstage.com and literally found talent for like 100 bucks for a couple of hours. And I just said, do weird poses, do weird things. And so I had them do different poses and then we just cut them out, put them with our products and now look how much it brought our products to life. It just changed the way you look at our product in a way that's art. It's not just like, eh, it's like a bidet company with the selling a device. It's wow, that's gorgeous. Like, let me just stop and Like, what are they? What is this? That matters. So most recently, we just launched our Tushy Ace, which is our bidet seat, our electric bidet seat with our new brand new remote, which is amazing. We're super excited. And again, we took something that's mundane and boring and made it fun and made it ornate and made it beautiful and made it artful so that when people see it, they're not just like, again, okay, I'm looking at a toilet. Controversy works. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's not. But when it's good, it's really good. When we first launched Thinks, and really, finally, got to the place where we had enough money to launch a, our subway campaigns. We found out there were these things called remnant ads, where you don't have to pay the full money to basically get out, do a full buyout of a of a subway. But remnant ads are you can you get it at a fraction of the price of so a full subway buyout. But you basically have to only two weeks to get like seventy posters and things ready. And so you have to just work all night, all day. And so our team were just like young hustlers. We just said, screw it, let's do it. And so we made these ads. We delivered it to the MTA and they were like, you can't use these ads. You can't say period in the subway. You can't use a grabbed grapefruit. It looks like a vagina. We're like, what are you talking about? It's a have grapefruit. (laughs) And then we were like, actually, you use the same grapefruit to represent breast augmentation ads. We're using the same fruit, but your breast augmentation ads are all over the subways. That feels like a bit of a... We basically, we said said to them, if you don't put our ads in the subway, we're going to go to press. And they were like, go to press. And I was like, "Oh, you call my bluff? I don't know any press. <laughs> Fuck. Okay, okay. I sent out a couple of emails, a couple of contacts, lightly removed that I might have known. One from Forbes and one from Mike.com. And I was like, subject heading: Scandal with the MTA. And I just, and then the body copy said something about the, this whole thing. And then they both want to write a, a, an exclusive. And I was like, perfect. You guys both get the exclusive. They're like, that's not how exclusives work." And I was like, oh, okay. So anyway, Mike.com ended up taking it and the story went viral internationally. And we also got our ads in the subway because it got this, the MTA got literally thousand, thousand tweets. And so they finally let us put our ads in the subway and it was an absolute amazing success. And it was really powerful. And then we were like, for Tushy, when it happened again, basically we tried to be in the, ad, in the subways for, for Tushy as well. But then the New York City subway system said, Tushy is a sex product. And we're like, It's like toilet paper. What are you talking about? We're competing with toilet. Like it cleans your. Because because one of our one of our quotes just said something like, "So clean you can eat off my butthole." (laughs) So they were like, "It's a sex product," and I was like, "No, that's just a quote from one of our customers." But okay. Anyways, and so basically we we got rejected from the New York City subways again for tushy. So we're like, just pull out the old playbook. I went to press again, New York Daily News wrote a piece it's like a new york daily it wasn't like a huge one but what we didn't know was that snl looks at the dailies every single day to find funny random stories to make jokes about that are relevant for the current event stuff out of the blue without us asking them snl did a three-minute piece about it and it put us on the map in a way that was like it was crazy
1: I want to say, I hope you enjoyed that, but I'm going to actually say, I know (laughs) there was something in that for everybody. And Mickey is really inspiring and such a powerhouse. And it was so great to be able to watch her keynote in real time and just be able to soak all of that in. But you would have got some gems from that, no doubt about it. If you have loved this episode or you're loving the podcast, go ahead and please do rate it. We do do a happy dance when you do that. You're not going to see that necessarily, but we do do a happy dance and it does go a long way for us to continue to create content for you. With that, I will say goodbye for now and until next time, have a great day.
0: Here at the Mindshare Collaborative, we are committed to helping you increase your vision, income and impact. One of the first things we'd love to support you on is adding a high-profit leveraged income stream so that you can enjoy more time and money freedom. And to help you get started, I've created the Health Professionals Playbook for building multiple streams of income that identifies five proven strategies for creating a sustainable income beyond your primary practice to create time and money freedom. To get your free copy as my gift to you, go to ms365.io forward slash MSI. That's ms365.io forward slash MSI.